Abed and all hope, listeners. You're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff, with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hiya, folks. Old Man Grognard here. Welcome to Monday. Hope you're all doing well. Well, well, well. I was supposed to have a Swords and Wizardry game today in the Midlands, and one person showed up. Ashley, two, two. Well, if you count Gage, that's two, but here's what I saw. And I didn't want to make this a pity party or anything because I've had no shows before. I've had, I've done demos of Swords and Wizardry Light where nobody shows up at all. But I can chalk that up to like advertising and stuff. This is something we agreed to like three weeks before. Of course, three weeks is a long time. Yes, it is. The one person who did show up did show up. And I apologized. But he said it was okay because he wanted to get away from the zoo anyway. He was at the zoo with his family. But that that's beside the point. What irked me was the guy, uh, one of the other guys who played with us three weeks ago. I knew he was hot for 5e and I figured we could alternate weeks after this two-week layover because I had something I had to do. Somebody else had something to do. And, you know, it's like, okay, give me a few weeks. And I put it together. And there he is sitting there GMing 5e with a table full of people. Then I see the rest of the game store fill up with other tables of 5e, and I just sit there and talk to my friend. And when my grandson says, oh, you're playing 5e? I look at him, I said, go ahead. And he joined the 5e game. So that kind of got under my, that, that got stuck in my craw. I mean, usually if it's a no-show, it's a no-show. I try best better later, but that one really got to me. And I'm, I'm, you know, it just, I just felt kind of, I don't know. I wanted, don't want to say betrayed because he was probably playing it a week or so ago or whatever. But anyway, so he's in the five E game on us every Sunday now. So nothing I can do about that. I just needed to vent a little. That's all. So let's get back to the subject at hand. I don't, I, I'm going to try not to get too deep on this because this is all about story again. And I've said a lot, a lot of stuff on story here. And it's just, if it seems like I talk about the same things over and over and over again, it's just that every time I think about something, something new clicks in my head about it. And I, while I'm trying not to go, you know, retread old ground, at the same time, I want to, if I'm going to retread old ground, I want to bring something new to the table. And this may be new to the table. I was thinking about half adventures. Now, you've heard me talk about building a story framework, not a plot, because of the characters who bring stuff to the table. Okay, fine. I Have you ever, has anyone ever, and I'm sure this happens all the time, when, especially when you're starting with a new group, first-level first characters, all that kind of stuff, plotting a few things out, like locations and monsters and things like that, and then letting it go. Find some place for them to go. You know, sandboxes are fine. Say you've got the germ of an idea. Okay, it stays a germ of an idea. You've got things for them to do. You've got encounters, things like that. But you don't know where it's going to end up. Now, this is risky because sometimes... It don't go nowhere. I mean, look at Lost, the TV show. <laughs> you know, they didn't really know where they were going, and I don't think the X Files did any either. But that's 
the key. I'll get back to television in a minute. But I started looking at my literary, my literary influences, and I'm a film nerd, a film buff, but I'm also a fan of Dickens and Arthur Conan Doyle. And they lived at a time when writing stories were pretty much paid by the word. So, and Dickens and Doyle handled it two different ways. Dickens, his strength was length. He could keep these stories going and different things happening and still manage to tie it up in the end. Have, because he, he, he create these interesting, he start with an interesting premise, create these interesting characters, and he just sees where it goes. And since it was serialized in these pamphlets, magazines, whatever, these magazines, so they were serialized, he got paid by the word, so it is in his best interest to keep the story going. Now, I don't think the publisher ever said, we want 12 chapters or whatever, but they had, he had some he might have had some kind of ballpark idea of how many chapters this is going to be. Or maybe the publisher said we need X amount of chapters to fill in this space for X amount of time. Okay, fine. So he would come up with plots. He never forgot the main... This is what I like about him. He never forgot the main plot. But he would go off on these little side quests, little side plots, that he would somehow dovetail into the main plot. That's why they always said in Dickens, oh yeah, there's all kinds of outrageous circumstance. Well, that's part, to me, that's part of the fun. How he, the part of the fun for me is watching something or reading something like Oliver Twist or Great Expectations or Nicholas Nickleby is, okay, he's got all these balls he's juggling in the air. Let me see, let me see him catch them all. Let me see how he's going to take all these threads and tie them up into it. And he does it every single time. And I was wondering how I could apply that to my GMing. It's kind of, a, like I said, it's kind of dangerous. It's like working without a net. Because I've been in games where nothing happened. Nothing except random encounters. Absolutely nothing. They didn't know where they were going. See, this is the whole concept of the sandbox. You let them go, and you may have, you have little feelers out there, little hooks. And if they grab the hook, then you start, okay, what are we going to do? If you got if you got enough to get them to the end, here's the thing. They take a hook, okay? They're in a sandbox, they take a hook, and they go. And say this is early part of the session. Okay, fine. If you have random encounters, if you know of a scene that you should put there, an NPC you can think of. This is called thinking on your feet, folks. You know, ad-libbing. Thinking on your feet. But remember, if you're prepped enough, if you've got enough handle on the area, you can do it. If you know, you know, you know the area and how it's going to work out. So you get enough to get them to the end of the session. However that is. And keep it exciting for them. Keep the story going. Then... Yeah, and you drop little hints. You can drop little hints along that don't... T I can't remember. Uh, there are times when I've dropped hints in a story. I don't know where they're going to go. I just put it there. Like, remember I talking about that uh, Astonishing Swordsman game where they were... The the girl that they, the monastery was watching and trying to take care of, they were saving bottles of her urine. 
I didn't know where that was going to go. In fact, it went nowhere. It was just this. I, I used an example of how whacked out these people were becoming. How how you know crazy these people were coming. But the once again, you know, the PCs will latch on to the most unlikely things. They latched on to that. If I wanted to, I could have made that a lead into something else, either a side adventure with this story, or it could have been le led into something else. If I go back to Astonishing Swordsman now, and I do another adventure, and this happens again, they're going to think it means something, and then I can come up with something. This is the way people like Dickens thought. You know, okay, I this character looks interesting here. Why don't I do a side plot on this character or lead this character over here? And because if you watch, like, say, the stage version of Nicholas Nickleby, uh, I'm not talking about the Once again, I'm not a literary person. I've read through these books once, but mostly I'm talking about, like, the movies and the TV stuff. But that eight-hour version of Nicholas Nickleby, they do the entire, they do pretty much the entire book. Side adventures included. And you see how he ties. It's just a great example of how he ties it all in. The guy must have kept like tons of notes for this kind of stuff. Okay, let's flip that on. Let's flip it on the other coin. Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes. Now we all know that Doyle's real love was for like lost world adventures. In fact, he won. He was the one who wrote the Lost World, the original Lost World adventure. You know, adventure out in the unknown with the challenge, you know, like Professor Challenger and all those kind of guys, or or Alan Quartermain, you know, real, real like dinosaurs and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So that was his real love. And he did okay with those books, but he also wrote for the magazines. And of course, he created Sherlock Holmes, which he got tired of and then came back to, but did manage to end on a good note. But at the same time, he knew he was paying, being paid by the world too, but he did not string the stories along like Dickens did. For one, they were mur they were mysteries, mostly murder mysteries, and you can't, it's very hard to string a murder mystery along. Very hard. I mean, he wrote what four novels and umpteen short stories, and so he replaced long narratives as Dickens did with a formula, a formula, because he had the formula. If you read it, if you read one or a dozen Sherlock Holmes film uh, stories, they all begin the same way. Usually at Baker street, usually with a client coming to them and the mystery is put in front of them. They tell him what's wrong. He goes, he deduces, he, and then the excitement starts when he starts doing his detective work. And they always, practically all of them, end up back at Baker Street or close to it. So that was his formula. And he got to know the formula so well, he could crank them out. He could crank dozens of them out. So he replaced the long-form formula with proliferation, with all these stories. Uh, Looney Tunes, the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons. Chuck Jones has said before that the first ones took about five weeks or four or whatever they gave him uh, through four weeks, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. But he wanted to do something like that cartoon, What's Opera Doc? 
He said he needed more time on that. He said, so me and Mike Maltese would get together because we've got the formula for the Roadrunner down. We could turn a Roadrunner out in two weeks, use the extra time for the more elaborate cartoon. And once again, people who know their formula. It, even like I was reading on the internet today. I was reading on, uh, uh, I don't know, Wikipedia the TV show The Beverly Hillbillies went for not, was considered a one-joke show because that was the premise. It was a one-joke show, but they managed to get nine seasons out of it. It ran from 1962 to 1971. That's nine years. And so what, what they did, like Doyle did, like Chuck Jones did, they knew their formula and how to vary it. They knew it and how to vary it. And you can do this in a game, too. Take the meeting at the tavern. Turn it on its head. How can you change it? What if you had a role-playing game where they always ended up in... They started in the same place. How would you vary that? Or they always go to this one place at one point. How would you vary that? All these TV shows, all these ideas, it's it's just two two sides of the same coin. And what I'm saying is you can adapt that to your adventures, Start an adventure, you don't know where it's going to go. You know, you've got you've got the sandbox in front of you. They go over here. Okay, that thing is happening over here. I've got a couple of things flushed out. Let's see what they do with it and watch their actions. Watch their actions, what they do, what decisions they make, and then go forward from that. That's just basic game mastering right there. On the end, it also, and on the other hand, well, like I said, start them in the tavern. Go ahead. Everybody does it. What can you do differently? Start them in the middle of a fight. Uh, have some, some tavern wench serving them, crying. What's going on? They walk out to the outhouse. Somebody attacks them. Something like that. It's the formula, but it's the variations that you watch. And, and I'll, I'll give you another example. Comedians, film comedians, silent comedians, they all felt that there was the same bag of tricks at one point. The premises, the premises, you know, there's um, the Marx Brothers and Buster Keaton and Laurel and Hardy all went out west, you know, western. They all, you know, Chaplin and the Marx Brothers both did something on the circus, things like that. These were standard standard backgrounds for them but you always stick around with them because you want to see what they do with it what else they will do with it what they'll do to differentiate something else so just keep the variations in mind in your in your head and so you i think you will get a lot of mileage if you keep those two things in, in your head either 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 just start something and see where it goes or formula. In fact, you could probably mix the two. Start them out in the formula, and then somehow the formula goes awry. Uh, watch, watch the uh, the Max Fletcher Popeye cartoons because boy, if that isn't formula bound, I don't know what is. But it always seemed that Dave Fletcher, who, who directed them, he or supervised them, he always. Every once in a while, he would do a variation on the old Popeye eats a can of spinach and beats up Bluto. And he would just do variations on it, which were very, very clever. So 
keep that in mind when you're when you're creating your stories and things like that. I knew I was going to get kind of deep in this. So, I, in fact, I even took notes. Wow. So, why don't you guys go take that advice, if there's advice in there somewhere. I'm going to go start my day. So, if you want to talk to me about this, you know where my email address, you know, my email address is oldmangrognar.gmail.com. Drop me an email, or you can drop me a voicemail on Anchor. And we are monetized, so as little as 99 cents a month, you too can help support this program, and I would thank you. And thank you once again to my supporters, Jonathan, Oliver, Gilbert, and Juan Carlos. You guys are great. So until I see you folks next time, keep the dice warm, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Questions? Comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air. Thank you.